You are listening to The Current Podcast, the official podcast of UC San Diego's IT Services Department. I'm your host, Miguel Rodriguez. Today is Wednesday, November 29th. Here at The Current Podcast, we are basking in the festive mood of the holiday season, And one festivity we are particularly excited for is, of course, the annual IT Services Employee Appreciation Events taking place on Monday, December 11th, 1 p.m. over at the UC San Diego Faculty Club. An RSVP is required to attend, and the deadline to do so is tomorrow, November 30th, the last day of November of this 2023. So head on over to the current homepage to find the RSVP link under Upcoming Events and RSVP Now. You don't want to miss the opportunity to celebrate yourself and your fellow employees under the ITS banner. Now, do you want to speak at the Process Palooza in 2024? Be a part of crafting the dialogue at next year's event by submitting a speaker proposal form today. The call for proposals deadline is also tomorrow, November 30th, so there's no time to waste. Click on the call for proposals article located in the news section of the current homepage to find out more information and a link to the speaker proposal form. And that takes care of the news for this week. So let's get to the good stuff. My conversation with ETS director, Dan Suki. Yes, Dan is returning to talk more about a look at the group mission, how things are going, what's exciting on the horizon, and there is a lot to talk about. So let's get to it, shall we? Well, we are back with my personal supervisor, who I answered to, the head honcho over that at Educational Technology Services, Mr. Dan Suki. Welcome back to the current podcast, Dan. Hey, thank you, Miguel. I appreciate it. Uh, head honcho, that's pretty. Yeah, head honcho. I'm, I'm making up new titles as I go. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Uh, yeah. So somehow we've reached nearly Thanksgiving, although who? I'm not sure when this podcast will actually be published. It might be after Thanksgiving of uh, 2023. So closing another year, which boggles my mind but i mm-hmm. wanted to start this out by asking you uh, about thing you know is there something about 2023 that sticks out as a defining moment for ets we've talked before about some of your goals uh, and to me the last few years tend to kind of blend together what what stick you know what brings this out uh in 2023 what makes this unique yeah, so that's a well, that's a good question to get right off the top. So, I would say you know it's so when I think about twenty twenty three, it's it it does feel in a way it's funny because it feels like it has blended the past couple of years, but then it's also been kind of distinct. But you know, working in the field of education technology, whether you you know work in it as a expert expert or you manage or you lead in education technology, you don't necessarily have these kind of like defining moments necessarily. You do have some. So you don't want to necessarily have these like big watershed moments. And that's that's because our field is really kind of defined by, and, and also our reputation is definitely defined by the work we do every day, right? To support students and faculty and of course staff. So uh, for me, I, I know this is going to seem like an odd answer, but for me, the defining moment last year was, you know, 
when I look back, it was really uh, fall quarter, winter quarter, spring quarter, and three summer sessions. Um, and because what that means is that, you know, we've continued to support the educa educational mission, that we've provided technology to students, faculty, and staff, and hopefully made the education, teaching, learning part of it uh, better for them. Yeah, you know, ultimately it does come down to that mission of supporting uh, our customers or our stakeholders or whatever language we want to use in in making every day kind of work for them. And Correct. your team, the work is largely operational as opposed to strictly project-based, although that's not mm -hmm. always the case, but there's a lot of operational stuff. So I'm wondering for the listeners out there, how would you uh, navigate operational work on a day-to-day, -day, which sometimes it's, it's hard to really track, mm -hmm. you know, a beginning, a middle, and an end of a project when it's just ongoing operational work? Can you talk about yeah. that? Yeah, no, that's good timing to the question, because as you know, we've been really, as of late, focusing on on notions of service ownership and service offering managership, that sort of thing. And that really kind of has asked us to really look at everything we're doing and define what's operational versus project. They, of course, they really bleed together a lot. But, you know, I would say, so for our team, we do both. You know, we're not purely operational, but it is in the sense that we we know we need to support our customers. We know when we're going to be busier than other times, right? Which is nice too, because we also know there's periods where we're going to be able to breathe a little more, which is good. But I would say, yeah, it's it's mainly operational some projects, but, you know, even some of the things that we define as operational are essentially just long projects. And so I'll give you an example. Let's say we're uh, helping create an online course, which we're doing plenty of right now, or an online program. So that's, you could say that's operational because we're building and supporting the course, but uh, within that, it's a project, right? With a start and an end, and we launch the course, and then we continue to, to, you know, refine the video and that sort of thing. So it's it's both. And I think I lost track of your original question, but I think the answer is that uh, we do both and we'd have to juggle them. And we try to, whenever possible, we try to give folks who mainly do quote unquote operational work projects. We do that intentionally because I think it's good to mix it up for folks. But throughout all that, we we definitely, you know, always reinforcing that we're a operational group first and foremost, and we support folks. Actually, uh, no, you addressed the question perfectly. And okay. you even brought up one other thought, which is uh, the notion of scalability, which seems much easier to define in a project-based world. But, you know, operational from my view with keeping up with the increasing number of students we have enrolled and faculty and staff, scalability seems like a challenge for operational work. Uh, how do you... Um, Ensure, and I know it's not just you, you've got a number of SMTs and service owners under you who help make this happen, but address scalability and, and making sure that everybody has their uh, their services and supports needed needs met. Yeah, that, you know, I'm glad you asked that because scalability is definitely a thing. So at you know UC San Diego, so for instance, I'm on campus today, right? I'm looking out my office window and I was just, think about this before we spoke to him, Miguel, I was like, oh, this is something I should point out. So right now I'm looking at the <laughs> Torrey Pines learning and living, living and learning neighborhood. It's yes. already finished completely. The, new, the Added, new building and stuff there. Yeah. Correct. 
And to the right of it, if I lean over a little bit, I can see the Ridge Rock North, which is a currently just a big giant dirt pit. But uh, that, you know, that whole complex is going to have, I think, another, I think it's like 2,500 student beds. So, you know, a huge amount of more students on campus. It's going to have about 20 new classrooms. And then I look, you know, behind me, the theater district also is going to have about 10 new classrooms, a couple thousand new student beds. So we are growing tremendously, like at a at a rate that no other UC is experiencing, and never in our history have has UC San Diego grown this quickly. And so part of the challenge, you know, for me to to manage that and for our team to manage that is to make sure that we have the resourcing, staffing, and the tools we need to to manage that amount of change and growth. So we get there by doing a few things. You know, we got some people in the department who are just process improvement wizards, right? They're just, they're really good at doing this and they just think this way naturally. And we really, I especially try to lean on those folks so we can improve processes and help scale. But it's also a matter of uh, advocating for more staff, more resources to manage uh, supporting this many more students and the subsequent instructors that are hired and all the staff that are hired to support them. And all that is things that we need to account for. So I just say it's a constant uh, balance of me uh, reminding and reinforcing with everybody throughout ITS and on campus that to uh, support a campus growing this quickly requires the right amount of resourcing to make it work. You know, this also popped up. And we've got a list of questions that I sent you, but I'm just going to go with what's naturally flowing. Yeah, here. yeah. just uh, You brought up the... Uh, exponential growth, which is, you know, unprecedented biggest in, in the coming from a Californian who hears about the, the, the mass exodus due to housing crisis of people out of California to more affordable to what do you attribute this growth? And, and you know, I'm, I'm sure you'll have to do some guesswork here, but hmm. what, what is making this growth of enrollment happen for UC San Diego? Do you think? Well, there's a few things we know for sure that are a big draw. And one of them is that the UCs just have this fantastic reputation as, as being a place to, if you're a student, a place to go to, to not, if you're in state, you're California, it's a really inexpensive, high quality education. So that's a big draw. If you're out of state or international, it's known, has a great reputation as a place to get a good education. It also looks fantastic on your resume, your portfolio, right? To say you got a degree from, uh, from a UC. So we have that going for us. We also have, you know, we're, we're a research powerhouse. We're like, you know, we consider ourselves like a public Ivy school, basically. And that's a huge draw for anybody who wants to get into research because they can come here, learn the tools they need, and then go out and do research for their own. So that's another thing. And then uh, you can't overlook the fact that we're, you know, a mile or so from the ocean, a couple miles from the ocean. So to be honest, our, our re where we are in the region and our weather and the and the ocean, that's a big draw too. So we can't overlook that part. But I really think it's because the reputation the UCs have built for themselves. Uh, that is what key, is keeping uh, folks, you know, banging on our doors to come in. And it's, you know, it's funny you mentioned that to me, because this reminds me of a, I was just in the Educause conference a couple months ago and looking at the programs and the sessions, there were a lot of sessions about saying, what do we do about the low enrollment, the, the low enrollments at our university? Like, how are we going to get income in? Because nobody's applying. And it felt great to say that, you know, I was from a university that that's not a problem, right? 
uh, we have yeah. uh, no lack of students who want to attend and we have to turn away applicants every year. So I think it's really, it's all those things together that, mm-hmm. that make UC San Diego like a huge draw for students. I had this vision of you uh, sitting at one of those discussions and then loudly getting up and saying, oh, well, I'm in the wrong place. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny because you don't want to gloat because there are <laughs> universities across the country that are hurting right now because uh, yeah. their enrollments are historically low. Right. And and for some, a lot of universities, uh, you know, tuition is very closely tied to, to revenue where we, we get some revenue from tuition too, but not as much as some other universities. So yeah. they're hurting and it's like, you know, you don't want to gloat, but it, boy, it feels good to not be in that situation. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. I mean, you have to recognize uh, some of the benefits and, you know, the gratitude we can have for that. Uh, I'll go on to the actual second question that I had written down, because I, I think this is a great segue. Um, but, I, you know, I'm going to start it off by saying you mentioned international students. You mentioned uh, the kind of programs we offer. Largely, UC San Diego has a a great STEM program. And I think a lot of our international students are very much interested in our STEM offerings. And the reason I bring that up is I feel like, you know, ETS services all departments, but certainly the STEM departments to a, a, a huge degree. And so that's a big job. And Enrollment aside, what would you cite as uh, the biggest successes that we've had from ETS so far this year with meeting those needs, uh, especially since, you know, it's the higher demand of higher enrollment certainly sure. taxes us. So Yeah. So, I mean, it goes back to your first question in a way. It's, you know, like I said, I really define our successes as, as how we're meeting the educational mission of the university, right? So... Uh, to look back at a, like, let's say this past, I mean, we're coming up, we're about three quarters of the way through fall quarter. So in a few weeks from now to look back at fall and say, how did we do? Did we support folks? Did Were we lacking in any ways? Those sort of things are what define successes for me. But, uh, you know, beyond that, there's other things that are, that are less measurable that I consider really important. So you brought up at the top, Miguel, about how we're largely a STEM campus. And that's absolutely true. We are, right? We're predominantly, uh, you know, engineering, computer science, that sort of thing. And that's a big part of the reason students come here. And we have some, you know, amazing faculty in that field. But for me, it's really rewarding to be able to support departments who historically, that hasn't been the big draw because these are amazing departments. Like we have an award-winning theater department and it's really nice to be able to work with folks like that and support them. And we have like an amazing visual arts department. Mm-hmm. And so just to be able to help folks who are in the arts and the, you know, the humanities, especially and some of the, some of the social sciences is a big reward for me. And I consider that like a success when we're able to do it. Oh, sure. Certainly. Especially after 2020, seeing theater instructors come to us sometimes for the first time ever yeah. in order to support uh, this new world of yeah. I mean, instruction, especially in the like in the, you know, having seen when they're trying to like theater department adapt to remote only learning. I mean, I'm I'm not going to pretend and say it it was perfect. It was way far from perfect, but we were able to help them at least 
sustain the program long enough to get through the pandemic to get back to a place where they can have you know in-person instruction and i feel i feel proud of that that we're able to do that for them yeah it, it is it's worthy of pride um just as our la jolla playhouse is so i i think that that might be another draw for folks but oh yeah, uh, oh, yeah. um you know we talked success and you brought that around to our first question but of course let let's turn that around flip it uh and go with challenges so um what are some of the the challenges or the i don't know frustrations even that that you may uh look to overcoming i would say i don't you know i rarely have frustrations i think i'm fortunate and I, I, you know, because I really like my You're job. You're even keeled guy, Dan. <laughs> I know. I've been told that a lot, but I think I'm just good at hiding the 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 other sides of that. No, I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm generally pretty even keel. I think challenges. So I mentioned before the growth. Uh, that's a big one. Just being able to, you know, provide the same level of service for everybody when we're adding so many students. I, I mean, you know, I just, I know I keep reiterating that the growth part, but another little factoid is, have about 42,000 students right now. Uh, we're going to be over 50 in within another 10 years. So we are the next UCLA effectively, as far as, you know, UC juggernauts. So just being able to keep up the level of service, which I'm very proud that we offer, we got to make sure we, we don't diminish the level of service in that. So that's a challenge. I think, you know, the other challenge, and this is a, you know, an evergreen challenge is we have all these brilliant uh, faculty and of course, students on campus, but especially in the faculty folks who have these ideas for new tools. And Miguel, you you know this probably as well as anybody. New educational tools they want to use in the classroom. They want to use, you know, for whatever purpose for education. And the challenge there is supporting them. But at the same time, you can't support 20 different tools to do the same thing generally. So you have to really guide them towards things you offer in a way that makes sense. Yeah, and we are we're combat. I don't want to say combating, but part of that filter is the same faculty are are being advertised to by tools, and right. and some of those tools are they're very good advertisers. They've got great PR, but we already have things in place. It's, yeah, so part of it's a you know it's just getting the word out. It's like communication mm -hmm. and outreach to folks. Uh, part of it is is really helping them with the tool they want to use the most when it makes sense. But also like, you know, finding nice ways of saying we uh, we can't support everything you want to do, but here's a bunch of great things that we do support that meet, you know, most like 99% of, of what you're trying to do here. So there's that. And then, of course, the the other issue that, you know, Miguel, again, super well is we we always try to make sure when faculty come up with new tools that they don't have data privacy or data security considerations. And that is a constant, requires constant vigilance from us. Yeah, and I think we'll touch more on that in a bit here um, when we talk about. Well, I think you know what we'll talk about, but um, we haven't mentioned we, it yet. That's we, we got this far. Not, we have not. We've left that elephant in the room. I uh, know. Uh, but first, I, I do want to bring this up too. It, it wasn't something I prepared you for, but uh, it, it's come up kind of in this conversation. When you've just talked a lot about new tools, but something else that we have as a department are legacy tools. And our department has a legacy of staff who have been, you know, the, the geniuses, uh, way above 
my, my neuronal impact that I can make you. People <laughs> like Wade, who recently retired, who have created these wonderful uh, tools for faculty to get their instruction done, to store mountains of data. But as time goes, some of these tools either need to be augmented or replaced. And, and so I, I guess I want to talk a little bit about change management when it comes to improving what we had in place already that some faculty may have been familiar with for decades sometimes and how uh, the growing pains sometimes of making those changes and uh, kind of uh, meeting the needs of a very different kind of world in security and also in the amount of storage and data storage that we require. Sure. I think so. You know, what you're describing is, is an interesting thing to tackle and, and it, you know, it's not necessarily a challenge, but just maybe it can be challenged, but throughout of all, all of ITS, right. It isn't just limited education technology. So what you just described kind of uh, technical debt that we incur, you know, from, ongoing support of things that, you know, were brought up, you're used in the past and we were still, you you know, maintain them for a few people, that sort of thing, while we're trying to bring up new things. So, you know, I think it's just part of what we do. We're charged with supporting new ideas uh, and generating new ideas. And, and we do that really well, but there's a long tail to that work. And the long tail means keeping up the infrastructure for those, keeping the integration with those going with uh, new tools, maintaining compatibility, that sort of thing. And, you know, I would say, I think what's helped us a lot, and I've seen this transformation in the past six or seven years, is we've moved to cloud for a big portion of the services we offer. Not all of them. We, we don't do it where it doesn't make sense. But we purposely have moved to cloud if if we can. And that has helped a lot because it means we have less local infrastructure maintained. We're less reliant on that one person who did that one thing that is no longer here, that sort of thing. Or not did that one thing, but you know the only person did that one thing. Absolutely. So that's that's helped a lot, and I've already seen us moving to the cloud, which we'll continue to do. Well, I mean, as an example, let's look at one of our biggest teaching and learning services, which is Canvas, right? Correct. Yeah, that's, that's a great cloud-based service. Yeah, that's that's the big example, but it doesn't make sense in every every case, right? Sometimes you need you should need to run things locally because you can off you can do it the run it best locally or it's most cost effective or the security and data concerns, it means you have to run it locally. So it's all, you know, it's decisions we have to make, but yeah, it's, it's a challenge. It's a challenge throughout ITS. You want people to be working on new, exciting things, but then there are at the same time, there are things that we have to keep maintaining for campus. Yeah. And I think that one of the reasons I wanted to bring this up is part of the purpose of this podcast is to spotlight what is happening uh, in these various little silos across uh, ITS. And I think there are plenty of our colleagues who aren't aware about some of the work that goes on. And I think it would be of interest to know that if some significant legacy infrastructure is going to either be retired or changed or improved upon, uh, just kind of what kind of collaborative work goes on behind the scenes with people documenting processes and figuring out what to go with and who's writing the code. And <laughs> it's really yeah. a conversation amongst so many people, not to mention communicating with faculty. So oh, absolutely. Pretty huge stuff. Yeah. I mean, you, you see this in, in ETS and it, you know, in educational technology, you've seen this in massive projects like an ESR, the process mm -hmm. you described all these processes had to be documented and 
defining what they did and who did what. And, and so we do, we go for a, a smaller version of that. In fact, I kind of liken what's the change that has happened to ETS over the past, again, like five years as like a mini ESR because oh, yeah. it has been in a lot of ways. We've transitioned to cloud. We've uh, documented a lot of our processes. We've, for the most part, gotten away from that scenario where just the one person, only one person can do that task. Yeah, and, and when they're I gone, pretty good about that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, right. We all know those stories, so. No, it's it's pretty amazing. I, I think, uh, you know, I asked, one of the questions I was going to ask is about um, kind of analyzing the successes and challenges and talking about what's exciting, but I think we've kind of covered that. I think all of this as challenging and, and um, you know, even stressful sometimes as it can be, it is pretty exciting to see when it comes together, when instructors adapt to new changes, when students, uh, I've been involved in interviewing or surveying students when, when they talk about how great things are going for them, it can be quite rewarding. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like the, so this, the student voice piece you're working on right now, Miguel is a great example, right? And you know, IT is often a thankless job, right? We know this, like you don't, you only hear about when things break, uh, not right. only, but that's often when you hear about things or when somebody's unhappy, maybe you have that particular, you know, that the faculty member who's just unhappy about something. So you hear about that and it bums you out, but, uh, you rarely hear about the 99.9% of stuff that's going great. And so the student voice was really nice because we were hearing some really good things from our students about what we, you know, what we do for them. Absolutely. It's been, it's been really rewarding in the last month or so that I've gotten some data back and we'll keep hearing about that. Yeah, totally. But at this point, it's time to bug the elephant. So the uh, llama. Yeah, the llama. Yeah. The, very good. Yes. Nice way to bring in the tech talk with the llama. Like that. Um, good segue, huh? I see what you did there. Um, <laughs> well, okay. So the world uh, started really changing last November, almost exactly a year ago when you know, chat GPT kind of exploded in a big way onto the scene. And, you know, we are doing a lot of work to figure out how to harness some of that generative AI power. Um, and so we just had our all hands meeting for ITS and there was a big presentation with students and Brett Pollock and a lot of people about uh, Triton GPT, which is right on the horizon. Mm -hmm. And I know that to some degree you have been involved with the AI task force with ITS. So I figured you'd be a good person to give me some of your thoughts about AI in general and what you see coming on the horizon. Uh, and I don't know, some maybe even some of your own personal takes on mm -hmm. the whole concept. Oh, sure. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, AI has been uh, a massive shift for us. So I would say, so first off, let me say, I have not been involved with the breakneck pace that the core AI team has been involved as much. So there's a, there's a group of folks and then a lot of folks helping support them to to do things like get Triton GPT going. Tremendous amount of effort. And it just, it's amazing what they've accomplished in a short amount of time. And we should be super proud of it as an organization because there's only a handful of universities like in the world that are standing something like this up this quickly and with this much capability. So that's super cool. Um, and then, you know, as it relates to the, you know, I always think about, of course, the, the ed tech side and the teaching learning side of it. So for, our campus, you know, when AI and ChatBT were launched, I think there was initially, and we, you know, we saw it, there was initially like 
uh, some fear about it. There was some, you know, concern that it just meant that students were going to cheat. There's no way to catch them. And what do we do about it? It was, you know, initially some sky is falling stuff, which I think is normal. And fortunately, though, I feel like as a campus, we're we're mainly over that feeling. I think folks have realized that with tools like ChatGPT, you can't really detect cheating in the traditional manner anymore. So all you can really do is modify the way you teach or just teach with the tool in a way that makes sense. So just recognizing the students are going to be using these tools like ChatGPT. So that's kind of... I wanted to mention that about kind of open AI models because uh, that's going to be a thing and that's just going to get better and students are going to use that more instructors going to start to build that in too. And then as far as our own, you know, ITS AI efforts, like we're doing amazing things. Uh, so early on, you know, we were running, so just in the, our little corner of the ed tech world, we were running some pilots using local AI just to try to do things like summarize lecture capture in interesting ways, mm. improve captioning for, you know, for lecture capture, that sort of thing. And so there's a lot of promise and uh, trying GPT right now, you know, we're leading with administrative use cases and that's very intentional. And there's, there's good strategy behind that because those are the use cases that we can best lead with, right? Because there's, uh, there's less, politics, other things we need to consider when you, if we were to lead with teaching learning use cases. However, those are going to be next. And those, I'm really excited about that. What kind of a uh, rollout do you see? Like how, how long before we, and uh, this might be supposition, but how long before we see that rolled out in a big way and on the teaching and learning end and then on research and all these other big yeah. parts uh, of the mission. That's a great oh. question, Miguel. Yeah. So, you know, it's, uh, we're, we are building the, you know, the plane is refined it. There's no doubt about it, but we have to, right. In order to keep up the, the pace of the advancement in AI. I really see. So I see uh, once we, you know, uh, build more capacity in trade GPT, the ability for more people to use it at once, because mm -hmm. this is really expensive and it's processing intensive. A lot of people don't realize uh, this isn't cheap, nor is it easy to do. So it once just it seems more... cheap and easy on the user end. It does, right? You go to OpenAI uh, or you go to ChatGPT right now, and it's you don't see the the GPUs, you know, smoking in the back, you know, background from right. running this sort of stuff. Running trillions and trillions and trillions of sometimes you know terabytes of data. Oh, hundred to... percent. Yeah. yeah. So. So to get back to your your question, I really I think once we build out more capacity in the next probably two three months, I'd like to see us start by inviting some faculty in or instructors in. They don't have to be faculty, just instructors in mm -hmm. general. In uh, maybe give give them a, you know some training, some background, uh, some caveats, and then just let them go, let them loose, and see what they can do. Put their own content in there, uh, put their uh, course content in there, see what comes back. That's what I'm really excited about is sort of they'll have a safe place to experiment with uh, Gen AI. Well, that is a, a very big topic, and I'm sure we're going to come back to it at another point. I'm certainly going to be mired in it when I talk to Vince in December. Oh, uh, I'm sure. Yeah. So, so that'll be very interesting. And we'll leave that elephant alone in this conversation for now. We're, we're, I want to wrap up a little bit. I will mention, since you talked about asking faculty to help us pilot some of this stuff, 
uh, and tie it into some of the successes. I think one of the cool things about ETS is some of the relationships that have been built with fac faculty via groups like CAMSI and uh, the Teaching and Learning Commons and, and how there is a kind of little cadre of faculty who who know us well and who are willing to be at the forefront of some of these things. It's very cool. Yeah, that's, those are the, those folks are uh, both the ones that work us the hardest, right? Mm -hmm. But they're also the, our biggest allies. Absolutely. And because they, they come up with the, the, the great new ideas and it demands a lot of attention from us, mm -hmm. but that's why we're here. So yeah, that we have a core group of, of people that just love teaching. And we foster that, we nurture that, and we support that wherever possible. Uh, they're brilliant and wonderful. Uh, so I definitely want to shout out those faculty and point out that uh, if they work ETS hard, it's only because they have very high expectations. And absolutely, as they should. Years. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm not going to leave this question out, Dan. We'll end on this one. Uh, you are a supervisor. You're my direct supervisor. So... I'm going to ask, this is a philosophical question for you. Sure. What do you think your direct employees want most from you as a supervisor? Well, that's a good question. Uh, I, you know, overall, so, you know, I actually spent some time thinking about this sort of stuff recently, because I'm always trying to work on myself, you know, as far as professionally and, and that sort of thing. And, and my managerial style, because everybody's got a style of how they work and every manager's got a style of how they manage. I think some of some of what I'm pretty good at and I, and I really try to bring to bear is I think I'm trying to be pretty transparent and honest with folks. I know it seems like kind of a pat answer, but I think it's important. I try to be as honest and transparent as I can with staff. And I also try to be wherever possible. I try to be as flexible with folks. Uh, you know, my general uh, mindset is if somebody's doing a good job, we give them maximum flexibility that we can recognizing that, you know, there's our limits, right? We have requirements to the job, but wherever possible, giving them flexibility. So I think, I think those are some of my strengths and I, I really try to like exhibit those wherever possible. Um, let's see what else I think. Uh, I think it's important for folks to know that they have a path to grow their career. And so for me, it's, I'm always trying to, and I think any good manager is always trying to think about what's next for their staff. Like what's the next career move they want to make that'll help advance them, uh, maybe reward them a little more. And, you know, maybe it's an ETS, maybe it's not, maybe it's an ITS, maybe it's not. Uh, hopefully it's still at UCSD, but it might not be that either. And we just, we want people to be uh, really where they want to be because that's where they do the best work. Well, let, let's look at who we have on that note in the last just year alone who have advanced, right? We have Matthew Zorzika, we have Deanna Rusin, we have uh, Catherine Collins, uh, who also just uh, got a, a, a advancement. So Yeah, and several more happening. than that, too, but that's a few examples. Yeah, yeah, that's right off. By the way, that's right off the top of my head. I No, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot anybody. Sorry about that. But uh, those are the ones I work closest with, so... Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, it is it is pretty great to see that happen and, and see those announcements be made to the group as a whole. By the way, uh, according to research, the number one uh, result that employees value most in managers is support and consideration, which seems a little bit 
nebulous to me, but I get it. Uh, and it seems like that fits with some of the stuff you're talking about. So Yeah, you're right, Miguel. And it, it is nebulous, but you definitely know it when it's not there. Oh, right. Excellent. In a boss. Yeah. You know, when it's absent and that's, yeah, that's the other side of the coin. And that, so yeah, it just I try to exhibit those sort of qualities. Like fine art, you know, it when you see it. Exactly. <laughs> but it's, you know, it's easy with this, it's easy with this crew, with, with yeah. the folks in ETS, consummate professionals, experts, like, honestly, this is, and I, I'm not joking. It's like the best iteration of this team ever. Well, I think they all work very well together, and it's it's pretty cool to see it happen uh, on stand-up meetings every morning. So thanks for not only joining me here, but you know, helping me on my own uh, sometimes precarious journey through this job. I appreciate <laughs> uh, you as a, as a as my supervisor and um, and all of the things we're able to talk about on this podcast. So thanks for stopping. Hey, thanks, Miguel. Thank you. I appreciate it. I sure hope you're enjoying this podcast. Remember to let your fellow IT services staff members know that this podcast exists. Get everyone to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you can get your podcasts. This podcast is a collaborative effort, and we want to hear from you. If you have any ideas for podcasts or topics, send them to me at its-podcast at ucsd.edu. That's it for today. Keep an ear out for the next episode of The Current Daily.